Tonight's Garden of Amuna class is called Stepping Away from Sadness. Okay, the actual title in the book is Sadness, the Enemy, Your Enemy. So I didn't want to use such a negative uh, title for the lecture, so I said Stepping Away from Sadness. So let's talk about this for a moment. What does it mean when we say that sadness is a boo-boo, a no-no, not good? So, for starters, a teaching from the Baal Shem Tov. The Holy Baal Shem Tov says that for a man, I'm not talking about for a woman, for a woman it's a law, at the, after marriage certain times. But for a man, there is no biblical mitzvah today to go to the mikvah. Yet, what mikvah can do for a man, the greatest mitzvah can't do. Then he went on to say, on the other side of the coin, Sadness is not a sin. There is no 366th prohibition that says thou shall not be sad. And nevertheless, what sadness can bring you to, the worst sin can't bring you to. Sadness is one of the greatest, I mean in the bad sense, weapon and tools that the Yetzirah uses, the evil inclination. To get someone to do the unthinkable in a moment of optimism and happiness is not it's not as easy and as quick as getting someone to do the unthinkable when he or she is dealing and battling with depression when you get into that you know if any of you have seen kids have your own kids when you get to that infamous shrug of the shoulder i don't care i'm gonna ground you for a week i don't care when you get into that mode and depressed and sad, it's, it's done. You're, you're putty in the hands of the Yitzhahara. So understand that sadness is a big, big no-no. Take it a step further. There is a verse in Deuteronomy, I believe it's there, that uh, says, Tachas Because you did not serve God in goodness and joy. Simply speaking, that verse means that when things were good and happy, you didn't serve God. Daria Kadosh, Dariza, Rabbi Zegluria, who actually said that the reason he merited the prophecy was only because of his simcha shel mitzvah, the joy with which he served God and did mitzvot. He translates the verse, because you didn't serve God with joy, therefore you're deserving, God forbid, of the worst punishments. So sadness is a big, big no-no. You find it in the Rebbe's letters, you find it in the Rebbe's teachings, right, left, and center. There was one man who, uh, he lived, I believe, in Chicago, maybe, no, New Haven, I think, and when he came to the Rebbe once, and he was a little bit of the uh, pessimistic nature, we'll talk about that in a moment, and, uh, by the way, the pessimist will tell you there's no such thing as a pessimist. There's an there's a optimist and a realist. That's the uh, pessimism. But what happens here is that the Rebbe once told him, I can't stand your negativity. And by the way, this man was no chopped meat. This man was a big chassid. When you drive to me as you cross the bridge, throw it over the bridge before you get to me. That's, it was just wasn't in the Rebbe's uh, presence. 
it didn't do well. Optimism and uh, I mean, for God forbid, I mean, uh, pessimism and sadness. It just wasn't. So let's talk about this for a moment. Sadness and emunah are oxymorons. They're just opposites. Because if you have emunah, you're not sad. You're sad because you think things are going wrong. But if you have an emunah that nothing goes wrong, A, everything is exactly the way it should be, B, everything will turn out for the good, so then sadness is just non-existing. For those of you who study Tanya, we'll soon see, that you study in Tanya, you'll see that sadness comes from one of the four elements of which the animalistic soul is made. Everything is made out of four elements, right? You have the four elements. Rambam talks about it. Now Rebbe quotes it. You have over there the element of fire, water, earth, and air. When you talk about the animalistic soul, the animalistic soul's four elements comes not from the chain of holiness, of theocentric, selfless theocentric. You're talking about the egocentric. And therefore, from that's going to come certain characteristics that are not so ayayay. So therefore, the Alter Rebbe writes and he defines the elements and some of their traits. You will notice that over there, he talks about laziness and sadness comes from the element of earth. Because earth is the heaviest and it sinks downwards. Just to put things in perspective, ego, anger, is from the element of fire. You don't feel dead when you're having a moment of anger. You're actually feeling very alive. It's fire always goes up. Earth is the heaviest, goes down. Sadness comes from the element of earth of your animalistic soul. Okay? So when we talk about sadness, sadness and emunah cannot coexist. He or she who has a munah has no reason to be sad. A, because it is exactly the way it should be. And B, it's going to be okay. Why would you be sad? Okay? So, understanding why a munah class must eventually talk about sadness and how there's no room for sadness in a munah, I want to share with you some interesting stories that I just gathered together just to understand what it means that Amunah and sadness don't coexist. There's a story of Rabzusha Anipoli, a man who was extremely, extremely poor. I'm talking about extremely poor. And someone asked the teacher and Rebbe of Rabzusha Anipoli that it says in the holy books, that you should accept suffering with joy, with love. And he just doesn't know how to do that, and he'd like to embrace that and learn the process. So, the Mazritcha Magi told him, for that, you'll go to my student, Rabzusha. You'll come to Rabzusha, he'll teach you that. Okay. He travels all the way to where Rabzusha lived, and he comes to Rabzusha's residence and as he steps in he sees that this is obviously the perfect place to learn how to accept suffering with love and joy there's leaks there's no furniture kids unfortunately don't have whole clothing shoes was out of the question it was terrible 
And Rav Zusha greets him. Rav Zusha says, and what do I owe this honor to? He said, the Rebbe sent me to you, the Mizrach Magid. He says, oh, what did the Rebbe send you to me for? And he tells him that I asked how I can learn the secrets, the process, the practical formula of accepting suffering with love and joy. And he told me I should come to you. And Abzusha tells him there must be some mistake here. I wouldn't know. I've never suffered. So when we talk about emuna and sadness, it's not pshat. We're not saying that you should learn that suffering is painful. But I'm going to be joyous. And I'm going to embrace happiness. I'm not going to let suffering take me down. We're talking about one story that's telling us that Amuna denies the Yetzirah to even the right to convince you that you are suffering. So that's one story I want to share with you. Now obviously this story is huge. Not everyone can embrace that. And many times when I talk about this, you've heard me say this before, think about the person who goes to the gym and the person is feeling, you know, his muscles are ripping, he's burning and everything, and he's smiling away. He knows, oh, this is a glorious moment here. You ask him, he's not upset about it. On the contrary, he was waiting for this moment because this is where it really happens. This is where you build biceps and triceps and all the wonderful parts of your body. So that's what they want. So by them, the suffering isn't even called suffering. They take it with joy. You've heard me mention that before in this class. A different understanding. So the first thing, Abzusha, we're talking about the story that why would you be sad? Because things aren't good. So now we have to understand where did that thought come from? Things aren't good. So I'm telling you a story with Abzusha. The man who was sent, he, he was, the man was sent to Abzusha to be the teacher of how to deal with suffering in a joyous way. It shouldn't send doubts and pain and sadness and anger through your whole system. And he teaches it right up front. <laughs> it's a very short shiur. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never suffered. So how would I be able to teach this to you? The man's looking at the house he lives in, sees that there's suffering written all over the place. And Abzusha just taught him how there is no sadness. Because sadness is the byproduct of believing that something isn't good. If something isn't good, then you're sad about it. A beautiful lesson on the spot. Can I tell you that, okay, class is over. Now you know how to handle it. <laughs> so let's go to another story. Second story I take you is, I'm going to use the word lahavdal. I want to make a separation between the story I just told you of Abzusha and another story that I read in the book. A total different process. You'll notice that today I'm not, I'm not, getting mystical. Thursday I'm giving another lecture on the act of happiness. If you guys want to come, that'll be built on a mimer. But I try very much that if I'm going to draw you out of your house at 9.25 p.m., instead of giving you a, a dose of Kabbalah 101, take you to the clouds and tomorrow morning not know how to deal with reality, I want to really give you just practical techniques. How do you step away from sadness? So I'm going to quote to you another book. I read a biography of someone. Not someone to glorify. But a very interesting book. And the interviewer 
who's writing this, writes over there that whenever you drive with this guy, this guy is blasting music. It's like music is like, you know, when you, you, I'm sure you all had that experience, right? You stop by the red light and you hear your car is trembling and it's really four cars behind you that took out the trunk and put in speakers. You're, you're talking about, you know, I come from Crown Heights, the hood. We <laughs> I know what that feels like. So what happens is that this guy would always blast music. And the guy asked him, why do you listen always to loud music? And he said, whenever I'm alone, I pump up the music loud. Asked him why. He says to drown out the voices of the demons. Another interesting thing to think about. We all have voices of demons in us. We all have voices of doubt. Voices that has absolute pure proof from our past that things are going to be bad. And there's always the worry. And there's always, if you ever did dare take a chance of a risk, automatically these voices haunt you down. You're going to suffer from this. You're not normal. What did you do? What are you thinking? It's not within your lineup of your astrology. <laughs> your, it's just not you. What are you, nuts? There's always these voices come. So we're talking about a second approach. Second approach is pump up the music. We'll talk about that in a moment. Pump up the music means that you've got to have something in your life that's louder than those voices that are driving you nuts. So to reach the Lahabdul, the Abzusha point of view, that there is no voices, because why would there be voices? Voices come when you're suffering. You don't suffer. There's nothing bad that ever has happened, that is happening, that will happen to you. So what voices? That's one approach, the highway. But then there's the other way. The bottom line is that there is stuff going on and there are voices that's talking to you about it. And even when things are good, <laughs> it's interesting. But people who are really touched with sadness, i.e. pessimism, when things are good, they really get sad. Because it's got to be a big fall coming up. <laughs> it, I mean, there's no other reason that things would be so good. It's going to be bad soon. Something's going to happen, I'm telling you. <laughs> so you have those voices. So it's not like when you're down. When you're down, the voices aren't that bad, really. Because how low can you fall if you're in the basement? But if you're on the penthouse, and over there, all of a sudden, those voices tell you, look down, it's a long way down, enjoy the journey, you know? When those voices start coming and start driving you nuts and then they really cause sadness, they just doubt and sadness, they're all related. So then this man writes that he pumps up the music. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Sometimes the answer is not to go to war with the voices because the voices are stronger than you. And even if you're going to win, the voices are going to make a dent. Just think about the war that we learn about in the Bible, in the Torah, between Yaakov and an angel. Yaakov won the war, but he ended up limping. It's not simple. You battle with these voices, even if you win, it leaves its fingerprints. So it's not always the right thing to sit down and go over the process. Well, one second. Let's say... Let's approach this. Is there what to worry about? Is there not what to worry about? Should I be sad? Should I not be sad? Sometimes the best way is don't go there. 
You've all heard the famous saying, it takes two to tango. And I'm just not getting onto the dance floor. I don't like this music. I don't like this dance. I won't be on the dance floor. That's a different approach. And sometimes it's the more practical approach. It's just simply the more practical approach. Now, I know what I'm saying could be dangerous because in the society that we live in, there are many people that deal with problems that way. And then they get addicted to the way they deal with their problems. And that's not a very good thing. So no, I'm not talking about chemical use, God forbid. I'm not talking about doing stupid things. I'm not talking about doing unhealthy behaviors. But I am talking about finding something in your life that you can embrace at a louder, a louder octave than the voices or the demons that exist within us. That's simple. Something to embrace. And then I want to tell you one last story. The last story I want to tell you is the story actually of the Rebbe Blessed Memory. In 1978, the Rebbe had a heart attack. And then uh, later on that night, the Rebbe had a more serious heart attack. And the process went on. The doctors, Dr. Wise, and they all reported to the Rebbe. The Rebbe's office in 1978 turned into a makeshift um, ICU center. And I just want to fast forward so you know that the Rebbe had a heart attack. You know it was a serious heart attack. And uh, this was in 1978. You know that the Rebbe was born in 1902. So this wasn't at you know, a young age. And what happens here is that in one of the conversations, the doctor feels responsible to tell the Rebbe the situation. And the doctor tells the Rebbe, he told us a story. The doctor tells the Rebbe, there's a 50% chance that you're going to have another heart attack. The Rebbe doesn't reply. And he tells the Rebbe, Rebbe, did you hear me? And the Rebbe said, yeah. I heard that you said there's a 50% chance I won't have another heart attack. This, this process needs to be done, in my humble opinion, at the birth of the situation. Because to have entertained for the next 72 hours that there's a 50% chance that we will have, God forbid, another heart attack. And then to say, you know something, but there's a 50% chance I won't, a little too late. You see, because the 50% of pessimism, worry, sadness already moved in, unpacked, took over the kitchen. It's a different story. Now you want to move in, the new guy <laughs> comes along and says, by the way, I, I'm, we'll be roommates. Well, sorry, just pick yourself a bed where I didn't put my stuff already and there you can sit. Who's dominant? So it's very important that in the first engagement to be able to immediately flip it over. So what I'm telling you here is three stories of how three different individuals dealt with what we would call projection of sadness or at least good ground roots for sadness. One of the major things, by the way, with anyone that goes through a cardiac arrest is always that. You're always dealing with the post-depression. The fragility of life, to realize what happened, what could have happened, and what's very well might, God forbid, happen again, and yada, yada. One of the major issues you have, and many times they suggest, after God forbid, such a thing, to deal with a psychologist. So we're not talking about small things here. So I just want to set up these three before we go to the next stage of the class. Number one, I told you a story 
we're totally the high road. Me? Sad? Why? People who suffer battle with sadness. I've never suffered a day in my life. The story of Zusha. One way. So it's not pumping up the music. It's not redefining. It's to begin with. Putting yourself in a position of the absolute amuna. That's a whole different perspective. I shared with you once. I just want to drive this point home. I shared with you once the famous song of the holy Rabbi Yitzhak Bardichev. Rabbi Yitzhak Bardichev said as follows. He had a song. It was called Do. Do means you. You with a capital Y. God. And the song went like this. Everything is you. Everything is you. If it's good, it's you. If it's God forbid not, it's you. If it's you, it's good. We'll go through the song again. Everything is you. If it's good, it's you. If God forbid it's not good, it's you. If it's you, it's good. So the entire notion of entertaining that not good exists is removed and then the process of battle with being mekabal yisurim ba'ava accepting suffering with joy and with love is a total it's just not even an issue and he wasn't playing games Abzusha would not play games if he told a person there must be some mistake why were you sent to me I wouldn't know about this field I've never dealt with it go to someone that suffers and see if he suffers with joy that's a different story he wasn't playing games it's funny, just that little note. I hang out in Barnes and Nobles. I get to meet interesting people there. I had a conversation with a certain individual and her profession is psychology. And she told me a very interesting comment. We were just talking about denial and what goes on and you deal with people. And she told me the following words. She says, oh yeah, I always get people to come to me and talk to me about denial and how you have to help this person, this person's in denial. And I told him, who says there's something wrong with denial? She was talking to me at, at that point. She dealt with, she was dealing with senior citizens, uh, dealing with life and issues. She says, who says you have to shake people out of denial? Who says denial isn't a safe haven? If denial leads to not dealing with reality, that's a different story. If they're not functioning. You know, and I'm, well, I don't want to get into all the details. She was talking to me about a specific individual that lost a child and whatever. She says, what, who says? Who says you have to rip off the scab every time and make sure that she realizes there's a cut and she's bleeding and it hurts? Who says? So sometimes denial is not a bad thing. Denial is only a bad thing if it stops you from doing what needs to be done. Rav Zusha didn't live in denial. He lived in a total different plane of reality of what's called suffering and what's not. If Rav Zusha, God forbid, couldn't afford to have tefillin and couldn't pray one day, that would be painful. The other issues to him just weren't called suffering. But I'm not talking about even that level. To embrace that once in a while it's good to go into denial and go into the everything is good mode, that's not geferlach. As long as it doesn't take you over the edge and, and uh, not do what you have to do, every once in a while denial is a very healthy place to hang out. It's a beautiful playground. Now let's talk about the next step, just going over the stories. The second thing is that when you're realizing that the voices are the demons within you, 
that always show doubt and pessimism and negativity, sometimes, instead of dealing with them, accelerate, raise up the sound of the good voices. Just pump up the music, plain and simple English, pump up the music. Drown out those voices. In a time where I'm not exactly right now in deep yoga mode to go into a meditation and hum my way into the light, so we're going to turn up the music. It works. The third story I told you was that if you catch it at its moment of conception, you can flip it over. Immediately flip it over. Share with you another thing. There's a great book of art. I may have even mentioned this to you once before. I forgot her name. Betty, Betty something. It's called Drawing with the Right Side of Your Brain. I want to share with you this story just to understand a very practical, tangible approach to flipping over reality. You know, the cup's half full, the cup half empty, and all that stuff. Let's just be very interesting. She talks over there in that book about something phenomenal. She says, children have no problem drawing to the end of the line. They go, when they, when they don't make no borders, kids draw until the end, and sometimes they go right onto the tablecloth, right? We all have had that before. They have no problem with perception. They see, they draw, they pour their neshama out on a paper. It's beautiful. Adults always have problems. Why? Because adults hear louder than the right side of the brain. They hear the left side of the brain. Those of you who learned little chassidus know the right side of the brain is chachma, wisdom. The left side of the brain is bina. Chachma is creativity. Bina is analytical. And when you embrace the analytical, then the facts confuse you. Simple example. Try to draw a table. You draw a table. If you use your analytical brain, you're going to run into problems. Because your analytical brain knows that those four legs are all the same height. If you draw a table with legs the same height, it's going to look weird because you create depth by making the back two legs shorter than the front two legs. But the analytical part of the brain is telling you, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Mention them. I'm telling you they're the same length. So the analytical part of the brain, which stores data and facts, comes to haunt you. So she suggests something very interesting. She gives two pieces of advice. Number one, when you're trying to draw something, turn it upside down. It completely throws the left side of your brain off. Because the brain is not, well, one second, that's upside down. Correct. The second thing that works is don't draw the positive, draw the negative. Very interesting. For example, if you want to draw a chair, don't draw the legs. Actually, draw the space in between the legs. Then draw the space between the outside of that leg and the table. So what you're doing is your brain doesn't know how, the left side of your brain doesn't know how to deal with that. The left side of your brain is thinking cheer. You keep on shutting it up. You're not drawing what you're drawing. You're drawing everything besides what you're drawing. And the end will be that you've drawn what you were drawing. Let's go back to what we said before. So, 
if you are of a certain negative perception, if you are the famous, uh, there's the optimist and the realist, then what you need to do is you need to blind your side of your brain, which is giving you all the facts and figures. I'm sure you always know, like, you know, they have this in movies and they have every one of us has such a friend who can tell you exactly every airline you want to fly on, how many accidents they had, and how many people were killed on that plane. You, know, you always have this friend, right? <laughs> he knows all the doom facts. And before you go on a plane, he's not the person you want to speak to. Same thing in your life. So you need to do what this artist in the book, Drawing with the Right Side of Your Brain, is telling you. You need to do that in your own life when you draw conclusions on your relationship with God and what God does or doesn't do for you. And part of the time what it is, is, and again, it may look like you're avoiding the facts, but I ask you, if you draw the spaces rather than the actual object, are you avoiding the facts? Or are you approaching it from a different way so that the left side of your brain won't get in the way? That's what we're talking about. For someone who is so tuned in that 50% chance there's going to be another cardiac arrest, the Rebbe's response was the total flipping the picture upside down. The left side of the brain is just, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? It's as factual as a statement of a doctor. But you just remove the process. We don't talk that way. We don't talk about the percentage of it not happening again. You can't really make a novel or a great fundraiser out of that. We need to talk about the chances that it will happen again. So the third story is a third process, a simple tool. That's what I'm sharing with you tonight. Tools. Number one, go into absolute denial which is a healthy place as long as it's not interfering with your life. What you have to do. There is no suffering. Why would I be sad? Number two, pump up the volume. The voices are loud. You can't deal with it. Don't get, don't get into a hand wrestle with it. It's not going to work well for you. So just pump up the volume. Just drown out. Forcefully drown out the voices. Just make sure you don't hear it. The third thing I'm talking about is teaching your brain how to look at it from a total different paradigm which throws off the normal pattern of thinking. By doing these things, you remove sadness. I had a conversation today, not from here, over the phone. A girl has talked to me about how she's just not finding a date, and, you know, and then she tells me, you know, it gets to a point where you just see all your other friends are already married and you're not finding. I just stopped dating already. It was the gloom just came all out. And that's what I had to deal with because that's the only challenge. Girl's a beautiful girl, girl's a nice girl, a man, everything perfect. But once you have that sadness, gloom, Take over, by the way, built on facts. She's this and this years old. 
She's met so many, so many people, hasn't found a single person yet. I mean, this is data. You can't fight with data. Well, you want me to be the, live in denial? I mean, I'm telling you facts. There is. I have been in the market. I go to all the singles events. I see the same guys coming to all the same events, and it never works out. There's harsh facts and figures. There's a problem here. And the problem isn't in the facts and figures. Because the same 50% that there would be another cardiac arrest is the same 50% that there won't be a cardiac arrest. The question is what the left side of your brain is doing to the right side of your brain. It's squashing the creativity to see beyond the numbers. It's interesting. I, had a, I have an uncle I had. He should live and be well. I have an uncle who will always say that um, liars figure, figures don't lie. I always thought that was cute. Until, for the sake of this organization, I went through a couple of accounting books. And I learned that every good accountant knows that there is no liar that can play with figures the way figures know how to lie. So, before you go ahead and bring the numbers to the table, understand that numbers are useless before you have some concrete foundations on which you build your numbers. If we're the <laughs> sometimes the last place you'll ever know about a company, what's really going on is in their financial statements. It's the same with the left side of your brain. It's throwing you real facts and don't you understand and this marriage is over or God forbid or this business is doomed or your house is going down or this kid is trouble and then, and then you're never going to get married and all statistics, great statistics. Question is, right when it starts, can you flip it? Can you tell the left brain, as real as you are, the right brain is as real? And you're not helping, you're not offering me anything to do. You're introducing gloom and doom, been there, done that, don't want to. Now let's get close it up with practicality. So I want to talk to you about two things. Number one, I want to talk to you about how to light the candle from both ends. To light the candle from both ends is A, the brain, B, the body. Those are the two ends. And if you light the candle from both ends, the center, which is the heart, will be controlled. So number one is, let's start with the brain. It is important, people, it is important not to overdo. I would actually go to the other extreme. You don't want to hear how much to the other extreme I personally go. But it would be very bright to not make it a mitzvah to listen to the news all day long. It would be a very big mitzvah not to always have to read things and learn things that are all driven by things that create sadness. It may bring up ratings, but it brings down human morale. Plain and simply speaking. There is a joke that Yankel once caught his friend Yossel reading the most anti-Semitic paper there was. He says, Yankel, what are you doing? He says, I'll tell you. I read the Jewish papers, and I see that this one's suffering, and this place is closing down, and this one's in foreclosure, and this organization can't cover its budget. 
I read the anti-Semitic paper. It's a machaya. The Jews own Hollywood. The Jews own Wall Street. I like reading their stuff a lot better than I like reading our stuff. If you want to change the way you feel and the food for feelings is what your brain is thinking, so change what your brain is thinking about. Start reading different stuff. Who says that we have to always read stuff that are nasty? They're all true. Again, they're all true. Nebach, nebach, every single rape story and murder story and this story that you hear on the news, they're all true. But there are other stories that are true too. Begin controlling your intake of all the negative, horrible things that are going on. Start upping. Start developing a sense and a taste for good news. And just start adding it more and more to your diet. Plain and simple, practical things. Don't read all day how the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and then talk to me about, you know, I, I really find lately that I'm sad. Really change your intake. And the same thing I tell you when you study Torah. Yes, absolutely, there are the teachings in the Torah, how the worms are going to eat you up, and the this and the that, because you once ate non-kosher, and you looked, and you thought, and you said, and don't ask. It's all there. Who says that that's the first piece of Torah you have to learn? Who says? It isn't in the opening of Shulchan Aruch, and it isn't in the beginning of Genesis. Why is it that some people gravitate there? I don't know. But I will share with you, don't go there. Don't. There's a lot to learn about Torah before you learn about hell. There's a lot to learn about Torah before you learn about all the punishments that people go through to cleanse their soul. So as they say in French, Zainish kan ibechuchim. Don't go purposely looking for all the stuff that will make you depressed and sad and then sit there and talk to your rabbi. Really, lately I've been really suffering from sadness. Change what your brain is reading, thinking. Number one. Number two, obviously, the next thing I want to talk to you about is the actions of joy. It is a fact, a medical fact, that a smile creates an emotion. Not an emotion creates a smile. There's something about the facial muscles of a smile. You will also notice, unless you're really, really, really grumpy, and then we have a separate class for those, but unless you're really grumpy, you will notice that no matter what mood you're in, if there is an infant that looks at you and smiles, you will smile. There's something magical about it. Nothing changed. The situation is still rotten, but the baby smiled at you, and then a young child smiles at you, you smile back. It's a purity. I want to talk to you about not only the brain reading things that will change how you look at the world. I want to talk to you about doing things. Those of you who spoke to me over the phone at times when you weren't in your greatest moods, you will have heard from me over and over this statement. 
Why don't you jump into a hot bath with a nice novel? Trust me, your problems will be waiting on your night table. They won't run away. Don't worry about it. When's the last time you went out for an ice cream? What do you enjoy doing? Am I pushing off the inevitable? Like I told you, the bills will be waiting for you on your night table after you come out of the shower. What I am doing is I'm telling you that you've allowed the issues into a place which is robbing you from being able to deal with them. Because the bill that you have, where if it causes sadness or it doesn't cause sadness, isn't going to change the fact that the bill is the bill and it, you need to deal with it. What will change the fact is that when you are sad, you're much less in position to deal with it than when you're not sad. I had one person who told me, we're talking about bills, and says, yeah, this month, you're going to laugh at me. I piled up all my bills, I ripped them up, and I threw them in the garbage. I knew they'd come back next month, submit them with penalties. But this month, I couldn't deal with it. What am I going to do? I want to tell you another interesting story. I don't know how many of you know this. After the Rebbitson passed away, the Rebbe wanted a will written. And then the Rebbe signed that will. And that will was left on the Rebbe's table. The Rebbe said he's going to sign it last. Everyone else signed. The Rebbe signed the will. It was left on the Rebbe's table. And the Rebbe turned around and said, why, why are you leaving this here? What had to be done was done. Get it off my table. Who says you need to always look at the will? It's done. We took care of it, right? Move it off the table. It's important to do things that make you happy. The one weird thing about a feeling is the only way to deal with a feeling is not by dealing with the feeling. It's dealing with the action or dealing with the thought. The feeling you can't deal with. So the process of dealing with a munah to change sadness is by changing the facts of life that you're reading, which embraces emunah, which opens up with a whole different paradigm of feelings. And sometimes the mind is just too exhausted. Then don't try to get into the heart through the brain, do it through the body. Right? What's the famous saying women have? The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Fine. Go out. Go out. Nothing's going to disappear. Go out. Call up a friend and go out for a cup of tea. Forget what's going on. Go do something you enjoy. Don't create, no. If things are so bad, then how can I do something that will make me happy? That's not healthy. Bad things demand sad moments. I'm going to be sad. Okay, enjoy. So I was very careful again. I was very careful with this class not to go, you know, seventh heaven and make it Kabbalistic because in the month of Adar, we're not looking for the Jewish mysticism behind joy. We're talking about a simple mitzvah to be happy. And that's why I shared with you three stories. 
One is to go into absolute denial. Another one is pump up the music. Another one is right at the birth and conception of what could lead into sadness. Flip it over now. I share with you the way to do that with art. And then I share with you as a general rule. Change the diet of your intake. Just like you can't eat junk and be healthy, you can't keep on putting garbage into your brain. Negativity. The sky is falling. The economy collapsed. We're going to have a world war. And this one's taking nuclear. And this is Venezuela. And this is going on here. And you can't keep on running around like Chicken Little screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and then do a Kazatska and a horror. It just doesn't work. You need to start reading other stuff. And then I concluded with action. Action. Don't worry about hypocrisy. It's part of life. Being a hypocrite sometimes is a good thing. Because if you can't change the frame of mind, the frame of heart, in order to change the action, change the action in order to change the frame of mind and frame of heart. And that's all for today, guys.